Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Nikki Hilton Rothschild. When young people come up to me and ask advice, that's that's what I always say. I say, don't think you're too big. Don't be too proud for a job. You know, it's all about learning from the bottom up, learning the ropes, and everyone has to start somewhere. And I, I really think it shaped me in business, knowing how to do all these things and being humble. Ellen Davis. Shopping can be about value. Of course, you want good value when you go shopping. But for so many people, shopping is an experience. It's an identity. You know, deciding to wear that leather jacket versus a sport coat was a decision you made today. Deciding to buy that leather jacket versus a sport coat was a decision you made based on how you feel, who you are, what you like. You're not making a decision to buy shop something at a, at a store or on a website because necessarily of how much it costs. I mean, we all have to wear something, right? But we're not all walking around in white t-shirts and jeans. We could be, but it's a way to express to people who you are, what's important to you, what you like. And it, it also allows people to really express their creativity. Rebecca Minkoff. We came up, and I say we, like my company came up at a time where it was there was a very old school way of doing something, and we really were the first to break with talking and using social media to talk to our customer. I know that sounds like duh now, but back then it was really transformative and deal with influencers and bloggers back when they were called D-list celebrities and really embrace that as something to just not follow the old path, and thank God we didn't follow the old path. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard recorded on location in New York City at the Jacob Javits Center and the National Retail Federation with over 40,000 attendees. And I thought I'd deliver a very special episode featuring three 
of the stars of this convention. I'm talking about designer Rebecca Minkoff, National Retail Federation President Ellen Davis, and one of the most famous people in the world in modeling and fashion and the world's greatest social circles, and I'm talking about Nikki Hilton Rothschild. And before I get started, I want to thank all of you so much again. The support, never-ending. You guys are incredible. <laughs> thank you so much. It's just so humbling, and I'm so grateful for everything you've done for the show. If you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz, at Instagram or Twitter, or at barrycats.com. I will do my best to reach out to you as soon as I possibly can, but there are a lot of requests, so just bear with me. All right, and without further ado, I'd like to introduce our first guest that you're about to hear today. Nikki Hilton Rothschild is an American businesswoman, model, and fashion designer, and a member of the iconic Hilton family, and also a member of the Rothschild family through her marriage to James Rothschild. Hilton was born in New York City and raised in Los Angeles. In 2004, Hilton launched her own clothing line and designed a line of handbags for a Japanese company. In 2007, she started her second line, Nikolai, at a higher price point. In 2014, Hilton launched a 10-piece collection with Elux. She designed each piece as a reflection of her personal style and named all products for the women in her family who embodied the style of each piece. In 2015, Hilton collaborated with Smashbox, the cosmetic brand owned by Estee Lauder companies to create a cosmetic line consisting of three limited edition cat-inspired makeup kits one for each of her favorite cities, New York, Los Angeles, and London. And in 2015, she launched a collection of handbags. Last year, Hilton announced her collaboration with Tolani, a mommy and me capsule collection. The collection launched in stores in spring of 2018, and it's been very successful. Before the fashion, Hilton was a model and was the face of Australian underwear line Ants Pants, along with Kimberly Stewart. Additionally, Hilton published her first book, 365 Style, which offers a simple method that helps girls identify the staple pieces that work best for their lifestyle, encourages them to stay true to their own taste, and most importantly, shows them how to have fun with fashion every day of the year. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today. I'm truly grateful that she came and did this interview. Please welcome. Nikki Hilton Rothschild. All right, I want to go way, 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 way back. Take me back to what it's like growing up. What was your family like? And what was the first inspiration that you ever had throughout your life of doing what you're doing now? I always loved playing dress up. I've always loved going into my mom's closet and looking through her handbags, her jewelry, and just admiring everything from a young young age i knew i wanted to do something in fashion whether it work in a boutique work in a magazine i just i loved beautiful things and dressing up what was your first 
entrance into this business? My first steps were interning at a magazine. I was interning at Hamptons Magazine. I was 15 years old and really started from the bottom, from taking lunch orders, taking out the trash, sending out the magazines to the advertisers, dropping the film off at the camera store, all of the little odds and end jobs. People wouldn't think that you would take an internship, and you did. And that just shows you what kind of person you are. Because I always say to everybody, doesn't matter who I meet, if you have all the money in the world and the health of yourself and your family, but in exchange, you had to work for 50 hours a week doing something for the rest of your life, what would it be? And you took the internship, you took the affiliation, you got in the door, and as Larry King would say, when you're in, you're in. <laughs> no, but I think, I think that's so important. And when young people come up to me and ask advice, that's, that's what I always say. I say, don't think you're too big. Don't be too proud for a job. You know, it's all about learning from the bottom up, learning the ropes, and everyone has to start somewhere. And I, I really think it shaped me in business knowing how to do all these things and being humble. And tell our audience your first tangible break where you actually were like, holy crap, I'm doing it. It happened. My first design gig, I was about 16, 17, and I was invited to Henry Bendel's for the launch of this Japanese brand, Samantha Tavassa, by my friend Brian Long, who works in PR, who was doing the event. So I lived five blocks away. I went down to Bendel's for the launch to support him. And all of these different Japanese fashion editors were opening magazines and showing me all these pictures of my sister and I in these magazines. We had no idea that we even had this following in Japan. So they asked me to star in the campaign with my sister. So we shot the campaign, and as they got to know me a bit, they realized that I was into design. So they said, why don't we design a collection together? And we'll put it in some of our stores and test it out and see how it does. So we did that, and the line was received really well. And I went, ended up doing a six, seven-year contract with them. And by then, they had opened, you know, so many freestanding stores all over Asia. And it was really cool to be a part of that. So that was my first foray into the fashion world. All right. Very excited about my next guest, Ellen Davis. Ellen Davis is Senior Vice President of Research and Strategic Initiatives at the National Retail Federation and the Executive Director of the NRF Foundation. In her role, 
Davis oversees a team charged with shaping retail's future through awareness building, training, education, and scholarship programs. Within the first year in this role, Davis restructured the foundation to create better alignment with the NRF's strategic plan and programs. In less than three years, she and her team launched the annual NRF Foundation Gala, which raised almost $1.2 million in its inaugural year, awarded over $1 million in student scholarships, tripled university membership, added student programs to signature NRF events, and formed the Talent Acquisition Group, a network of more than 60 talent acquisition executives from the nation's most well-known retailers. As Senior Vice President of Research and Strategic Initiatives, Davis leads the Retail Research Analysis Center, created in the spring of 2015, which serves as the hub for economic legislative and regulatory policy, consumer, and industry research. The center brings together all existing research within NRF and expands upon the wide range of issue areas and trends. Davis joined NRF in 2002 as manager of media relations and rose quickly through the organization on the communication public affairs team before assuming her current role. But one of the things she's most known for is being the driving force behind creating Cyber Monday, one of the most financially successful and powerful technological internet worldwide retail ventures in history. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. It's incredible to sit down with her, Ellen Davis. Explain to our audience what NRF is the yellow and black book for dummies. Sure. How long it has existed, what it was before you even got here, mm -hmm. and what it is now. NRF stands for the National Retail Federation or Trade Association. And trade associations exist to stand up for the people or the industries that they represent. NRF does a lot of work on Capitol Hill, which is why we're based in Washington, D.C., but we also exist to educate the industry and build up the next generation of talent in the industry and help companies do their jobs better. The organization has been around for over a hundred years, which is pretty incredible if you think about it because our industry is changing so much. But in the last 10 years, we've grown really dramatically through new leadership under our CEO, Matt Shea, and also by really prioritizing what companies care about. And in a lot of cases, that's talent, which is the world that I work in, uh, live in. Everybody's talented. Everybody brings skills to a workplace. Everybody brings perspectives. So in an industry like ours, which is the largest private sector employer in the country, you need people to do all these jobs in order for businesses to grow, in order to open new stores, build beautiful websites. Where do you find that? And as our industry has continued to grow, but the unemployment rate is really low, or as our industry has continued to grow and there are a whole bunch of college students who think that retail is folding sweaters during Christmas break, you got a real problem. So companies are, are recognizing that it is talent, our definition of talent, right? It's, it's people who are going to help them get to the next level. It's not one CEO. It's not one person who can do any of this on their own. They've got to surround themselves with the right people in the company. 
I think what's fascinating about shopping is that I go in John Barbados, a retail store in Las Vegas, because I have a relationship with somebody at John Barbados. They'll give you the 30% discount, but I still go in and I get the jacket. Mm -hmm. And immediately when I give them my credit card and I sign the slip, it has immediately taken a plunge in value. And everyone in the world who buys anything, I don't care if it's a Snapple iced tea before they open it or a leather jacket or a Vera Wang dress, the minute they pay for it, the value is plummeted. Even if they were to sell it on eBay, they're never going to get anywhere near what they paid for it. Yet everyone knows that, yet they still go shopping. Mm -hmm. In your humble opinion, from a guy who has obviously no skill in this area, why do people get so excited about shopping knowing that the value is a fraction of what it is after they get it? Shopping can be about value. Of course, you want good value when you go shopping. But for so many people, shopping is an experience. It's an identity. You know, deciding to wear that leather jacket versus a sport coat was a decision you made today. Deciding to buy that leather jacket versus a sport coat was a decision you made based on how you feel, who you are, what you like. You're not making a decision to buy shop something at a, at a store or on a website because necessarily of how much it costs. I mean, we all have to wear something, right? But we're not all walking around in white t-shirts and jeans. We could be, but it's a way to express to people who you are, what's important to you, what you like, and it, it also allows people to really express their creativity. So uh, I think shopping goes so much farther than the transactional, you know, you're right, there is not really an economic, you cannot quantify this from an economic perspective, but there's so many intangibles that are really important in the conversation. And, you know, also if you think about even the experience of going shopping, for a lot of people, there's, there is a lot of emotion behind that, right? Where when you were a kid and you'd go see Santa Claus at the store and, and you'd have this experience of buying somebody a Christmas present or a birthday present or a, an engagement ring. These are big decisions and moments that our industry gets to participate in every single day. So it's not about the money changing hands as much as it's about the products how that defines you and your life, and in many cases, what that represents about you yourself or, or you know, the people that you surround yourself with. Now, my cousin Carol is older than me, and I went to her house the other day, and there were clothes everywhere. Every closet was packed with clothes, and a lot of the items had tags on them. And when everybody left, I sat down with her and I said, can I ask you a personal question? She said, sure, whatever you want. I said, approximately all of the clothes that you have here, tell me what percentage you've worn this year. And without missing a beat, she said, 
maybe five or ten percent. Mm-hmm. And then I said, "Well, why are you buying all these clothes?" I like it. It's fun, and you never know when I'm going to wear something. And I travel. I've been to 123 countries, and I enjoy it, Barry. And it sounds like she can. So, you know, I, I think there, there's. A, I've got a, a kind of a personal answer and a business answer. Um, the business answer is that that's all changing. You know, you see lots of uh, the subscription model and the rental model is really hot right now in apparel. The rental model. Mm -hmm. There's a rental model other than the tuxedo rental. Absolutely. I don't know about the rental model. Okay. I mean, rent the runway is one of the hottest concepts in retail right now where you've got this world that is so transformed by social media and the fact that if I wear a beautiful dress to a gala and put it on Facebook, well, gosh, I can never wear that dress again. They're going to see that I wore it twice. Why would I spend $800 on a dress that I'm only going to feel like I can wear once because it's already been posted? So Jen Hyman, who created Rent the Runway and is now CEO, thought maybe there's a business here. And there is. There's a pretty darn good business. So you see that happening a lot of you know, in a lot of ways. And Rent the Runway started with cocktail dresses and evening gowns. And now they've moved into an unlimited model where you can just get new outfits all the time. So for the the person who likes staying current, but may not have a lot of space, may not have a lot of money, um, might, ch- you know, like to change things up a little bit. There's, there's lots of options when it comes to shopping, right? Um, the other is, I think I think your cousin is an exception, probably. I think people wear most of what they have, um, but it is an interesting, we're at an interesting time where consumption levels are really high. The economy's doing well, you know, people have, and because retail's not just clothing. We think about clothing first, you know, you say retail and everybody's like, oh, Nordstrom, Macy's, The Home Depot. Kroger, Walgreens, all retail, right? And, you know, my husband probably is Carol's version of clothing is my husband at a Home Depot, right? Where the garage is filled with a bunch of stuff that he only uses once a year. Um, But still, it's, you know, it's something when you can live in a place where you've got access to all sorts of things that seem cool and, you know, like look at gadgets over Christmas, right? I mean wireless headphones and new iPads and, you know, the latest and greatest gadgets for your home, whether it's a ring or an Amazon Echo. That's just fun stuff, you know, for people to collect if they can. Um, And so in some cases it's making their lives better. In some cases it just makes them happier. And I don't suppose there's anything wrong with that. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a -a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand 
enhance and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey everybody, I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office, and everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates, and I'm talking about the Air Doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the Air Doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. Does it shock you sometimes when there's one product, let's say, that does millions of dollars in advertising, social media, television commercials, Super Bowl commercials, and then there's one company that does nothing and... It's extraordinary, the business they're doing from the old word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Is that something that happens often now, or is it happen less? There are, there are certainly brands that take off very quickly and surprise everyone. Sometimes that's because they have a better product. Sometimes that's because they have an aspiring business model. So that's one example. Um, but advertising in retail is so different, and, and I'm sure comedy is the same, where you know, you've know you got lots of companies. Rodan and Fields is a good example. That is a crazy fast-growing skincare business. Started by two doctors. We just recognized their CEO on the list of people shaping retail's future, which is one of our big 
um, awards that we give out, they've never done any advertising. They leverage all of their consultants to sell directly to the people on their Facebook you know, feeds, through social media, in their neighborhoods, you know, other moms that their kids go to school with. So they very much deputize this huge group, primarily of women, to do all the selling for them. It's, it's like the modern day version of a Tupperware party, right? Or Mary Kay, but much more sophisticated and leveraging technology in a totally different way. So sure, there are, there are lots of brands out there that do really well with very unconventional, by very unconventional means. And that's been really fun to watch. And I think for a lot of the companies that have been around forever, who, you know, had their rhythm of TV ads and circulars and, you know, the Super Bowl ad maybe, that can be, a, that can be hard to adjust to. Um, and, and so that's, it's been fascinating to watch to see all of that unfold. Now, you started with the company 17 years ago. Mm -hmm. In 2002, there was barely internet. That's right. There were barely cell phones. I had a beeper, I think. Mm -hmm. You're partially responsible for marketing people away from going to the mall and getting their business online. Is there any statistics to show how much products are bought online versus in stores mm -hmm. and what's the percentage now? So when I started, I'll bet it, well, I'll, I'll say maybe it was 1%. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we had soap.com and pets.com and all the dot-coms and then the bubble burst. So online shopping as a concept was recovering when I started. But you're right, technology was nothing like it is today. What's your sense on... I'm just going to ask you, because this is something we ask a lot that people um, are often surprised by. What's your hunch on the percentage of sales that happen online today? If it was as bad as I thought it was, thousands of malls would be closing. Mm -hmm. Stores wouldn't be opening on Montana Avenue by where I am. In Malibu, no matter what the rent is, stores keep opening. Restaurants keep opening. Mm-hmm. Nobu, you go to Nobu, you can't even get in the place. I'm going to say it's not as bad as I think it is, and I'm going to say that 25% is internet and 75% is point of contact sales. Okay. So, one of the most fascinating parts of representing the retail industry is that because everybody shops, everybody thinks they know it. We all see retail through our own prism well, this is what I do, this is what my neighbor does, this is where I live, this is my habits, right? I'm an Amazon shopper, I'm a subscribe and save shopper, I live in a suburb of a major metropolitan city with same-day delivery. Lots of people in America don't do that. Also, when we think about online shopping, we a lot of times think about, again, apparel, or toys, or books. So the overall number actually is less than 10%. The overall number, and I'll bet if I asked you to pull out all your receipts for 2018, you probably bought more in a store than you think as it relates to things like groceries, right? Uh, Tide, socks, those everyday purchases, prescriptions. 
Now, granted, some of those categories are being disrupted as well. You've got lots going on with, you know, grocery delivery and you know, more commodity-based shopping. But still, the average is less than 10%. Toys is a big area that's been disrupted. Lots of people are buying toys online, books. Because toys clothes. are us went out of business in the stores. They, they did. I would argue that wasn't as much because of the Internet. Um, but I think part of this is recognizing the way that we shop. I grew up in a small town in the middle of farmland, Illinois. My in-laws, who grew up about 45 minutes away from where I did, still don't have high-speed internet. It's not as bad as like a modem, you know, with a but it's close. <laughs> um, they're, they're not everyday online shoppers. If they need something, they'll drive and they'll go to the store. Um, lots of the people near the, you know, the hometown I went, they don't have to worry about traffic. They don't have to worry about parking spots. They don't have to worry about the inconveniences of shopping that a lot of people in a big city do. And so if they need something, they go get it or they pick it up on the way home. It's actually very convenient. So when we think about shopping as a whole, we need to think about what every shopper everywhere is like and not our own personal perspective. Um, and there, of course, the internet continues to do more and more, and there is it is continuing to take share out of the traditional store, but it's not as much as people might think. There's speculation that it'll probably end up somewhere around 15% or less. However, I will also say, if you talk to a traditional retailer, most of them will say, it doesn't really matter, because the secret is when you get a shopper that can do both. So a person who shops in your stores and on your website is three times more profitable for you than a person who shops in one or the other. And what that means is that, okay, I'm a Nordstrom shopper. That surprises me what you just said. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Because I have never been in a retail store, clothing store, where I buy my purchase at Nordstrom. And the person at the counter gives me a card that says, here's our website. Go on our website next time for great deals. No one's ever done that. Now, at a restaurant, you will get that, hey, order online. You get it here early. Mm -hmm. You come. But I've never been to a store that did that. Check your receipt next time. No, I see the receipts. Believe me, you go to CBS. I buy a leave. I'm like, here you go. She's like, great. Would you like your receipt? Sure. And it's, mm, it's like taller than you like are. It's like literally taller mm -hmm. than me. I'm like, what is this? I think part of it is retailers aren't trying to get you to shop in one or the other. They want you to know what options exist. Nordstrom, perfect example. And there are a lot of examples. You can buy online and pick it up in the store. You can buy it online. You can reserve it online and try it on in the store before you buy it. You can buy it online and return it to the store. There, the, What Nordstrom is doing and many others is saying, look, I don't really care what channel you shop in. I just want you to shop with me. So I need to better understand my customer base and I'm going to go shop where I'm going to, I'm going to create an experience so that my customer today will shop with me instead of the competitor. And if that means investing in a mobile app, done. If that means opening up big new experiential stores, great. If that means investing in a world-class website, you know, we're good. So I think that is part of what's happening in the industry is that retailers have really gotten themselves out of this silo where it's stores versus websites. And the other interesting thing is that 
you see all of these startups, Warby Parker, Everlane, two examples, who, who started off online, took off. Some of them even made bold declarations that they would never open a store. You know what they're doing? They're opening stores. Because they also recognize that there is magic in the combination. And that is what is fascinating about the retail industry is that consumers don't just shop in one channel. Most of us. Um, and, you know, and, and that, is, that is what has been really fun to watch. And the mall concept always fascinated me because I'm looking across the way here at the convention center, the Jacob Javits Center, and I see the Starbucks here. So there's a Starbucks here, right here, and then you go downstairs one flight. And there's another, another Starbucks. Starbucks. Yeah. Then you go around the corner down the way, another Starbucks. Yep. Yeah. And you know how long those lines are? They're crazy. <laughs> Huge. Mm-hmm. Now, if next to Starbucks was a Pete's Coffee, a Seattle's Coffee, and two other competitors. Okay. I think Starbucks would be pretty pissed off at that thought process that I got to be next to Pete's Coffee and Seattle's Coffee. That bums me out. But in the mall, the mall concept is, hey, Nordstrom's, here you go. Macy's, Bloomingdale's, here's these other shops. I can get the John Varvatos pants in Macy's and Nordstrom's and the John Varvatos store. But everybody seems okay with it. Well, yes and no. Yes, that happens. We recognize Chip Berg, the CEO of Levi's, at the Foundation Gala during this convention. You can buy Levi's on Levi's website in the brand new, beautiful Levi's Times Square location at Macy's at Nordstrom. Levi's is in Coles, right? I mean, it's if you think about a brand as a commodity, then the problem is it really comes down to price. So what's happening is that you see a lot of retailers really trying to differentiate their their assortment or focus on experience. So for example, in the Levi's Times Square store, you can have your trucker jacket customized. That's an experience that costs more, but an experience that allows you to personalize something in a way that if you just bought it off the rack somewhere else, you wouldn't be able to have. You also see retailers investing a lot in private label. So... Target is launching, has launched uh, this great new collection with Chip and Joanna Gaines. You know, you so you look at, you know, Target's home decor assortment. Yeah, you can sell a Keurig. You can also buy a Keurig at Walmart. You can also buy a Keurig at Keurig.com probably. Um, but you can't buy this new Magnolia Market collection because it's only available at Target. And so you see retailers really trying to differentiate their assortment and create what we call private label that you can't find anywhere else. And the, the other trick is, if I go in there looking to buy some cool new piece of Thanksgiving decor in this collection, I'm already at Target. I might as well buy all the other things I need as well, right? So that's part of this psychology as well, is thinking about, what do I create that makes my store separate and different so that when there is, you know, a Macy's and a Nordstrom and a Saks in the same mall, I've got a customer who wants to go to one versus the other. It also comes down to experience and service. So, you know, that's another outlier that a lot of retailers have been using to differentiate themselves. And let's introduce our last guest today. Rebecca Minkoff is a co-founder and creative director 
of subtle and edgy designs that have made her an industry leader in accessible luxury handbags, accessories, footwear, and apparel around the world. She launched her brand in 2001 with an iconic capsule collection that landed her on The Tonight Show, and she became an overnight sensation. In 2005, the morning after bag, a.k.a. the MAB, ignited Rebecca's career as a handbag designer, inspiring her downtown romantic sensibility in the years to come. Just a few short years later, in 2009, Rebecca returned to her roots of apparel, designing and introducing her first ready-to-wear collection. Today, Rebecca Minkoff is a global lifestyle brand that spans ready-to-wear handbags and accessories, footwear, jewelry, watches, as well as men's clothing under the label Yuri Minkoff in over 900 stores worldwide. An industry leader, Rebecca is an active member of the CFDA, the Council of Fashion Designers, has spoken at dozens of conferences such as South by Southwest, Northside, TEDx, and supports multiple charities. Most groundbreaking, Rebecca Minkoff is what's known as an industry disruptor, always pushing the boundaries of fashion and technology to the highest levels. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today. What a true honor. Rebecca Minkoff. Tell me where you grew up, the socioeconomic dynamic of the family, the siblings, and what was your first inspiration as a young child to get in this crazy, messed up business? <laughs> so I grew up in San Diego. Uh, there was three of us, three kids, uh, two, bro- two older brothers, and my mom was raised very frugally. Um, and she decided to raise us very frugally. Um, so we had to work for everything we wanted. We had a ledger in the kitchen and we earned what we wanted. Um, and so I guess my first dose of inspiration came when I wanted this dress and she said, I'm not going to buy you the dress, but I'll teach you how to sew and I'll buy you the fabric. And so that was the last thing I wanted actually at the time. I was like, mom, just buy me the dress. Um, but then I got hooked on sewing and, uh, just fell in love with the idea that I could create something out of nothing. So, uh, yeah, but I never thought I'd work with my brother. My older brother and I growing up did not get along. He was like the mean older brother. He'll kill me for saying that. Uh, so the fact that we work together now is something I never would have imagined then, but he's got an incredible business sense. So he really helps steer, you know, as CEO that and, uh, helps me avoid a lot of the crazy. Tell our audience the first break you had as a younger person. You're still so young. It's just incredible. I feel like I should be wearing clown shoes sitting across from you. (laughs) But there has to be something that was a first entry into the business. How did you get that point of entry? What happened? Tell our audience. So I uh, moved here when I was 18 with two suitcases, and I would sleep in my friend's dorm room at Fordham University. Um, And I worked for a designer for about three years. And because there was no social media to distract us back in in the olden days, um, when I got all my work done, she would let me work on my own stuff. So I had a very small five-piece collection that I designed and sewed and was hitting the streets, you know, knocking on doors. Tell me the five pieces. 
It was a like a tuxedo jacket, a pair of pants, a blouse, a t-shirt, and then another pair of pants. Contemplated casual, as they say. <laughs> sure. And so when was the first time after you put these five pieces together, did you go to this designer and you say, could you take a look at this and tell me what you think? So I actually went to the CEO. Craig was the designer and he was on the road all the time because the most important thing for him was meeting his clients. And so I went to the CEO and I was like, what do you think? And she was like, great, go, do it. You're fired, go. But in a good way. She fired me in a very positive way. It was a happy firing. I was scared out of my mind. I was like, I can't even pay my rent. So I, I don't know if it was good that I was fired, but I it forced me to hustle. And your first sale of any piece of anything, how did you do it? What happened? So I spent a lot, the last of my savings uh, on this collection and printing these beautiful lookbooks that in the end I shouldn't have done. Sent them out to a ton of stores and showrooms. Um, and then I, f I ran out of those and I faxed, believe it or not, uh, the last, you know, when I had to a website that's no longer around, but it was called Raven Style. And she couldn't even read the facts, but she's like, wow, this girl faxed me her lookbook. I'm going to call her. And so she was my first sale. And she really, she floated me when I couldn't afford my production order. She would advance me the money on it and really just took a chance. And we started selling these t-shirts and I did that for about a year, just sold t-shirts. When did you go and decide, hey, I'm going to call my mean older brother and see if he wants to get involved in what I'm doing. So four years had gone by. I was struggling within the clothing just to manage it by myself. Uh, I decided to do one bag as an accessory to the collection. And um, there, was a, there was heat behind it, but I couldn't afford to fund it. So I actually called my dad first and I said, hey, dad, loan me the money. It's for real this time. I'm no longer a loser. People want my stuff. Uh, more than one account. And he said, I'm not going to fund this, but your brother might. So call him. So he really just started uh, with no intention to be my partner, just helpful advice. And then when he began to see the opportunity, uh, he said, okay, let's do this. Let's like make this a proper thing. And so he was like my, my go-to phone call. And then it, he started flying up and then he realized when he didn't know his three-year-old, he should probably move his family here. Tell our audience about your first big media break that happened where millions of people oh, saw your product with a household name celebrity. Okay, this is gonna take us way back and I don't know that we feel the same about this celebrity, but back then it was a big deal. So Lindsay Lohan was at like the height of her fame, pre, you know, good fame I should say. Um, and there used to be these things, they still exist, called gifting lounges and this they said, hey, you can show here for free and celebrities walk through. So I had maybe 10 bags. And for me, it was the most expensive thing I would ever do in terms of giving away stuff for free. I was really scared. And I was like, what if someone comes in that I don't know that's not famous and they take a bag? How am I going to do this? And she walked in and I like it into a drug deal. She took the bag, went outside. The paparazzi like swarmed her. That picture ran everywhere in tons of magazines. And it was like, all of a sudden, people wanted the bags. They're like, who's Rebecca Minkoff? Where can I get this bag? So the flood of, of interested parties was, was really due to good old Lindsay. And you have 10 bags. How long does it take when 
you get 36,000 orders for the bag. How long does it take to put that into production and get the bags out? It takes about three to six months. At the time, it was probably three three to four months at the time because we were making locally. So so people want things now. How did you deal with that? Well, back then, they didn't need them now. They could wait three months. Now they need them now. So now we're prepared when, when a celebrity is wearing something. We're like, we got stock. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six. Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. Let's do it. I'm going to mention some names, a phrase, anything. Okay. And I want you to tell me what comes to mind. The fearless life. For about two years, I was talking about leading a fearless life. So, uh, but I've evolved that. You know, you will have fear in approaching anything you do but it's to do it anyways. Um, I've evolved it to more of a, you know, some women are crippled by that fear, so it's not really fair to say be fearless. Um, and so more about embracing the many parts of you, the many, you know, you have strengths in many areas. And so when you're scared to do something, lean on the areas of your life where you uh, are not scared for that confidence. Break tradition. To me, that means that, you know, we... We came up, and I say we, like my company came up at a time where it was there was a very old school way of doing something, and we really were the first to break with talking and using social media to talk to our customer. I know that sounds like duh now, but back then it was really transformative and deal with influencers and bloggers back when they were called D-list celebrities and really embrace that as something to just not follow the old path and thank God we didn't follow the old path. Female Founder Collective. So it began about uh, eight months ago when I realized that there was no symbol to denote a female founder and there are you know 11 million women-owned businesses and they don't all have their name attached to them. So what if we could get the consumer to be educated to turn over that product or walk by a store and know it was owned or run by a female founder. So started the Female Founder Collective. So it is a symbol as well as a group of women, uh, all founders, and really satisfying the niche of women that are starting and launching their own businesses. There's between 1,100 to 2,000, depending on which stats you read, women-owned businesses starting every day. And so how do we capture the, the mindset of the consumer to really support us? And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Aquatrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. 
normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. Nikki Hilton Rothschild. It's always hard when a certain retailer doesn't get behind you and support you. Um, but, you know, you got to pick yourself up and go on to the next one. Ellen Davis. When I graduated from college and I ended up with a communication degree, you know, PR is interesting if you like what you're doing PR for, but man, it's terrible if you just think it's boring. And I really lucked into this job where I had a background in PR, but I had this love of retail, not really of shopping. I like the experience of shopping. Okay. But I'm not like the world's biggest shopper, but I think it's fascinating to think about how other people shop. And that's how I ended up in 2002 in media relations for NRF. Rebecca Minkoff. Be creative and don't necessarily think that you have to follow the rules that I followed um, to have a great career. I mean, you look at Jenna Kutcher, she's not a designer, but she lives in Duluth, Minnesota, you know, and she's got a million dollar business. And it's incredible to see people just doing that using, relying on technology to help them. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going for. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.